Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wonder how Mizzou seems to produce quality defensive linemen and NFL backup quarterbacks? How about why former Mizzou wrestlers want to fight Jake Paul? Or are you curious about why Missouri men's basketball losing a 15-seed Norfolk State in the 2012 NCAA tournament wasn't all that bad? Well, I can guarantee two of those three. But if you want the best information on Mizzou football, basketball, and everything else MU, listen to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast featuring me, Tribune Sports Editor Chris Kwasinski. And me, Tribune Mizzou Athletics Beat Reporter Eric Blum. We'll discuss all things Tigers, including Joe Exotic. Did he play for Mizzou? No, but we did have a dentist in town grace the cover of ESPN the magazine. In all seriousness, we'll break down every game, press conference, and big move from Columbia. We'll give expert analysis on Missouri and explain how each result matters to every MU fan. We may sprinkle in some takes on other things, too, like how Shakespeare's Pizza is a can't-miss Columbia experience, but their pizza is just good. Maybe third best in town. Yeah, that shouldn't offend anybody, but if you want the premier, unfiltered, direct podcast on Mizzou Athletics, subscribe to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast with new episodes streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms every Every Thursday. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always is the Tribune's sports editor, Chris Kwasinski, K-W-I-E-C-I-N-S-K-I. I told you I can get it again. Nailed it. Yeah. Where do you want to start this week? Missouri did beat SEMO last week as expected, 59-28, to but the 28 was not expected. How concerning was the 28 to you, Chris, and just what is it a sign of for Mizzou's defense? I think it's just a sign of just the... Just the I guess where the depth is really honestly when you look at the depth giving up those long touchdown runs to SEMO I mean it's never good when it, when you know the fourth stringers on an SEC team are, are giving up plays like that to SEMO to which isn't that great of an FCS team right now and it's one of those things where you just kind of have to take a step back and wonder okay is this because it's their first college game or was it because it's just taking a little bit of time for the defense to settle in as a, as a unit or is it taking just massive implications when it comes to talent. I mean, there's definitely a, a drop between SEMO and Missouri. I don't think we're trying to disguise those things, but just, you know, I also don't want to sound enough alarm bells. I don't think that it's a massive concern, but I also don't think it's something we can ignore either. Anyway, Missouri does go to Boston College this weekend, but to end their September slate, I think you and I both said on the podcast in the past that Missouri being 3-1 and one, going into October is optimal no matter how they get there. I think we disagreed on how they were going to get there originally. I, be- I believed they were going to beat Kentucky. They did not. You always saw Boston College as a win, even with them at full strength. So I'm curious, has your thought process changed now, or how has kind of that been 
tweaked at all. Yeah, the, the biggest thing is Dennis Grossell at quarterback instead of uh, uh, Phil Dracovic. And the biggest thing is uh, basically what uh, Grossell does, Djurkovic did much better and, and much more dynamically. I mean, throwing the ball, running around, just extending plays, that, that kind of stuff. And it, it, it when you look at it now, it's an offense that's kind of limited into in what it's going to do and kind of what it's, what it's going to focus on. And it's going to be a lot of Pat Garwo. And it, and really, that's what I'm expecting is just every running play in the book, Boston College is going to throw at Mizzou. And I'm sorry, I'm just laughing here because you called him Jerkovic. Uh, it's actually Phil Jerkovic, who was probably a projected first or second round NFL draft pick who was hurt at quarterback for Boston College and now is probably out for the year. But you said you have a reasoning for calling him Jerkovic and it's just making him sound bad that like he's a Jerkovic. No, no, yeah, it, it's it's a mis- I keep going back and forth. It's a mistake on mine because back in Chicago in ESP 1000, there used to be a, a radio host whose last name was uh, Jerkovic. Very, like, very similar. And I thought they were related for the longest time. That's why I keep messing that up. Do they spell it the same? It's not the same. And I didn't know that. But I think the first time I heard his name, because obviously being a Notre Dame fan, he went to Notre Dame first before transferring to Boston College. So I just I just assumed they were related. My my brain never got past that roadblock. Okay, well, good good to hear. Do you want to hear? I guess about my stories involving Boston College. I I don't know if I have one, but uh, I'm trying to think. I don't. I have nothing that matches that. Well, that's pretty good. Well, yeah. I mean, like obviously going back to the to the '90s with Notre Dame and and the upset and and the early '90s, and so everybody's got Notre Dame and Boston College stories. But I'm talking about. I mean, in this case, in terms of Mizzou, I mean. When you talk about missing a guy like Phil, that it just it's just it just changes everything. It's different. Okay, fair 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 enough. And I'm trying to remember because Maryland was part of the ACC when I was a big fan of them growing up. But I believe Boston College was in the Big East at the time, and so Maryland and BC I don't think ever crossed paths because Maryland went to the Big Ten around the same time BC came to the ACC. So I'm not sure if they were ever in the same conference at the same time. But getting back to Mizzou, uh, they do play there. Noon Eastern, 11 a.m. local time. From every indication that I've kind of heard, these are two programs on very similar wavelengths. I mean, the comparisons with Jeff Halfley and Eli Drinkwitz, I mean, it's bizarre how similar they really are this week. I mean, I, I don't think any, there's really not a team Missouri is playing the rest of the year that really lines up with them as much on paper as Boston College. Yeah. And then I'm sure, I think the line was, wasn't it? Wasn't it a push? But, but it, it was within a field goal. Yeah, I think Mizzou was barely fair, but it's but it was close to a push. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the day, like I think this is the the most stress free Mizzou might be uh, going for the rest of the season. Obviously, maybe the North Texas game has a little bit of uh, issues with it, just because it, it's you don't want to lose a game to like that to you know a group of five team. But but with, with Boston College, there's no shame in losing this game because it, even if you win this game, it doesn't fall within your goals of winning the SEC East. Yeah, but at the same time, if Drinkwitz is trying to establish a program, if Drinkwitz is trying to get those goals, going 0-2 on the road and two games that they probably should have is a setback. You know, you look at just Missouri's games that they have, being 2-2 two and two going into the rest of your year means you're really behind the eight ball. I mean, you're you're... I think at this point, it's worth admitting Missouri's not going to win the SEC East this year. I don't think that it was really realistic coming into the year in the first place, but now you're jockeying for bowl position long-term that can launch your program. You need four more wins to get that done. You still play North Texas. You have the three games against the three teams 
who are probably going to finish behind you in the SEC standings in Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. That puts you with six wins right there. So this Boston College game is pretty important for whether you go to the Birmingham Bowl, the Music City Bowl, or a, a higher-up bowl. And, you know, just th- that that's why this game is important. You need to rack up the wins and just, unless you really want to be destined for a 6-6 six and six season, because... Two and two, you still got Florida, Georgia, A and M, and Arkansas, who's ranked right now. And so, if you if you just take out the teams that are ranked, the Missouri still has to play. Your maximum win number is six, and I'm not sure a Missouri fan would really be happy with that, regardless of the progress progress of this team. No, that's fair. Yeah, and and the the main reason I say there's no shame is because really is when it comes down to it, like you mentioned, they're equal programs. They're in the same spot, and right now, and is if it's going to be a close game as you think it is. Is losing to Boston College, you know, twenty-eight to twenty-four, is it that much of a disaster? I don't think it is. But you make a good point when it comes to making the difference between the Birmingham Bowl and maybe something like the Independence Bowl or the Music City Bowl, if that's still a thing. Music City Bowl is still a thing. The Independence Bowl, I, I, Shreveport sounds awful. But <laughs> that's 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 a different conversation for a different time. But we can get more into the Boston College matchup after the break. We're going to go into our on the beat segment with Trevor Haas of the Boston Globe. Talked to him for a little while, and you know, we kind of just compared Missouri's notes with Boston College. So without further ado, here's my conversation with from earlier this week with the Boston Globe's Trevor Haas. Joining the Missouri Sports Podcast this time is the Boston College beat reporter for the Boston Globe, Trevor Haas. How you doing, Trevor? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Just first off, t- kind of just talk about this year's Boston College team. Yeah, so expectations were pretty high coming into the season. BC has been stuck at six or seven wins for quite some time, and this, the consensus was that this team had the chance to get to eight or potentially nine. Uh, it took a bit of a, you know, a bit of a hiccup when Phil Dracovic, the starting quarterback, who was projected to be a second or third round pick, potentially a first rounder, uh, went out with an injury against against UMass in week two. Uh, suffered a hand injury; he fractured his hand, so he'll be out for the bulk of the season, if not the whole thing. So, Dennis Grossell, who's a fifth year player has tons of experience. He came in and just, you know, fared admirably. He's He's been pretty solid in the backup role, but not quite the same firepower offensively as they had with Jerkovic. Um, the offensive line is one of the best in the country. It's extremely experienced, headlined by Zion Johnson, Alec Winstrom, uh, Ben Petrula, some of the better players in the ACC all around. Uh, Pat Garbo has stepped up as a running back of late. He's looked pretty good, and the defense has been great so far. Um, they held Temple to three points. Um, their competition has been pretty easy so far, Colgate, UMass, and Temple. Three of the easier teams they'll play all season, if not the easiest, but they went 3-0 and and they're looking good. So we'll see if this game will be a pretty pivotal one for them as they head into Clemson next week. Just just from the outside looking in, it looks like Missouri and Boston College are kind of on very similar paths. You know, they're trying to compete with the elite in their conference. You mentioned Clemson next week. Missouri has to wait a little while to get into the Georgias and Floridas and A&Ms of the world, but that's coming down the line for them. They have a second-year head coach, a lot of transfers, but yet seem to have a lot of resurgent energy and seem to have a lot of positive momentum behind the program. I mean, it seems pretty much like a like-for-like matchup in that way. Yeah, you basically just described BC, so I think you're, you're right on there. Um, I, think, I think it's really a, a toss-up, and we'll see what the line ends up being, the final line, but I think on my, in my eyes it's a pretty even matchup, and I think it could come down to the wire. So like you said, both teams have a lot of momentum, and they're trying to establish themselves as the, some of the upper-tier squads in their conference. So we'll see what happens. Just where is kind of the positive momentum for BC or the belief in just the program right now come from? From Missouri, it just is a drastic shift in the head coach in terms of personalities and just kind of the 
tenor of the program? How, how would you describe whatever the positive belief behind BC, the, you know, the glass half full approaches as opposed to glass half empty is kind of coming from? Yeah, I would say it all starts with head coach Jeff Halfley. He's in his second year. Um, tons of NFL experience and coached at Ohio State in 2019, came to BC in 2020. Uh, last year, BC gained a lot of momentum, um, and part of the reason they did that was because of the way they handled the pandemic. Um, stood out nationally for the way they, you know, took, you know, didn't have any positive tests the whole way until late in the season they had one, and they just really handled that well. Um, I think alumni are starting to realize that Halfley's the right guy for the job, and they're buying in. Um, just a very charismatic guy, very approachable, very easy to talk to, and just really has a pulse for the team and the community. And I think people are starting to realize that it may not happen right now. Uh, it may. We'll see what happens. But at least it's, you know, they're heading in the right direction. They're building things. And the recruiting classes are getting, you know, higher ranked than they have been in the past. So there's a lot of uh, positive momentum going forward. Again, I mean, I think from that perspective, a very similar deal to Eli Drinkwitz here. Just, you know, a guy who – came over from Appalachian State after one year of head coaching at the FBS level, but seems the right guy for the job. I mean, just very similar. It's kind of eerie a little bit. But just, <laughs> just, just, just tell about what, tell us about kind of just, I guess, more so why the changes now maybe have affected, you know, kind of the alumni the way they have. I mean, Missouri kind of was always kind of maybe a sleeping giant in the SEC, the way they are kind of on an island with no other Power 5 programs around them. And, you know, having two major metropolitan areas in St. Louis and Kansas City, right in their backyard. It seems a little different in that way when it comes to Boston College obviously being in a major city and, you know, being in the congested northeast. So how does that how does, you know, the current direction of the program from that perspective, geography wise or whatever, differ from years past? Yeah, I think if you like college football and you live within, you know, 500 miles, you, you like BC. So, I mean, there, you know, there's some other teams like Harvard and UMass that people, they'd obviously have fans as well, but BC is, you know, the main program. So I think it was even before Halfley got here, it was the, you know, it was their, their city. But since he's gotten here, I think I've noticed just more of a trend that people are really buying in and he always says get in. That's his catchphrase. And I, I, I actually have noticed that I think people are more engaged. I've noticed that since I've covered the team, I've covered them for three years. People just seem to be more invested this year, um, just based on the positive momentum they have. And, you know, it's interesting because with the SEC, even if Missouri keeps gaining momentum, they're not going to be the cream of the crop. But if BC keeps gaining momentum, then there's a chance they could be in the number two spot behind Clemson. Um, obviously, they have some work to do to get to that point, but it's within the realm of possibility. So I think it's kind of a blank canvas for them to, you know, take a note of. For sure, you mentioned kind of what happened with uh, the quarterback and some of the other major players at BC, but where would you say the biggest strength is for this year's team, and maybe where do some of the weaknesses lie? Uh, I think the biggest strength is definitely the offensive line. Um, that's I think it favors them in the pass game and the run game uh, right now, especially with the run game, because, you know, Dennis Grossell, the quarterback, like I mentioned, he's a strong passer and experienced, but just not the same offensive firepower as Dracovic has. So I think their momentum has shifted a little bit. They've talked about how they're keeping their scheme relatively similar, but I think it will, we have seen it change. We saw a change against Temple a little bit in terms of the, the play calling, pretty run heavy. So I think the offensive line is, it's, it's remarkably healthy right now. So as long as it stays healthy, that's the biggest strength. I think they'll ride Pat Garrow and Alex Sigfield, their other back, and Travis Levy. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty experienced all around and a strong unit. Um, biggest weakness, I would say, I don't know. It's probably, they don't really have a weakness right now because they've only played three, three cupcakes, but, I would say potentially the, the defensive line, um, maybe not a weakness, but just an area that's not necessarily as strong as some other spots. Um, it's been a little banged up. They're starting to get some players back, but I think that's one to keep keep an eye on to see if Missouri can run the ball pretty effectively. Um, if Missouri can manage the clock and keep these offense off the field, I think that will help them a good amount. 
So, so that that was kind of going right into my next question of, you know, obviously I'm not trying to diss Temple or UMass or Colgate, but Missouri is a step up in competition. And so just when, when you see, you know, is, is this game kind of for the purpose of working out the rest of whatever kinks are necessary before getting into the bulk of the ACC schedule? I know Clemson has got to be a heck of a challenge coming up, in, and I, I'm not sure when the bias, whether two or three weeks, but, you know, just what, when you look and see that, is this kind of this Missouri game is kind of the best dress rehearsal possible for conference play is kind of the view of it, or is it something else? Yeah, I completely agree. I think if Missouri comes in and beats BC, you know, obviously the BC fans will be disappointed and the team will be disappointed, but at the same time, it's, you know, an SEC team coming in. Uh, as long as it's not a blowout, I don't think fans will be extremely discouraged. And then we kind of get a second correct right at Clemson to face a Power 5 team that's really obviously one of the better teams in the country. So I think just, you know, BC right now has a chance to establish itself as potentially being a ranked team. If they beat Missouri, they'll probably be in the top 25. Then they go into Clemson, then all of a sudden you never know. But at the same time, if they lose to Missouri, then they lose to Clemson, then they're 3-2 and two, entering the heart of their ACC schedule, and then things get, things get a little dicey. So as you said, it's kind of a you know an easy stretch to start the year with those three teams, but now we kind of see what this team is made of, and we'll know a lot more in a couple of weeks. How long have you covered the team for? Uh, it's my third year. So you were there for the final year of Kibidazio. Yep. Just Correct. kind. Of, I mean, again, this is kind of a very big comparison to Missouri. But walk us through what that 2019 season was like, and just, just even for a big comparison, how different things are in the fall of 21 compared to the end of 19. Yeah, I think it's just you know completely different. That was uh, obviously my first year on the beat, so I was still getting the hang of things and getting situated. But you know, Halfley's just been extremely approachable. Um, like I mentioned earlier, just really easy to work with. Just very charismatic person. Um, I think when when you see a leader of a team just be you know get so you know enthusiastic about things and so so fired up, I think that just translates to the rest of the program. So I think from my end, it's just been you know like I said earlier, a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement. So it's been fun to see it kind of materialize. And I think as I mentioned, these these few weeks will tell us a lot about the trajectory of the program and just how they stack up against some of the better teams. Is, is, do you have any kind of prediction or any kind of final score, you know, kind of bet that you have for the, the final game? You know, I think the spread's within going to be within a field goal probably for the game. I think Missouri is favored on BetMGM by a field goal. A couple other sites have it less than a field goal going Missouri's way. That's probably due to the fact they scored 59 points, albeit against FCS competition, on Saturday. You, how do you kind of see this one ending up? Yeah, I see I see it unfolding just like that. I think it'll be, you know, one score game either way. Um I don't really have a prediction. I think it'll be, you know, pretty even the whole way. One situation to monitor is that uh BC's starting kicker Aaron Blumeri is out for the year. Um so they have a, a backup in there right now who's obviously capable of kicking field goals but not quite the same boot as Blumeri. So um just something to keep an eye on if it's, you know, a three a three point game or a six point game, whatever, to see what they do in that situation if they go for the field goal or if they, you know, go for it because they don't have the, the leg to it otherwise. So that's something that, you know, could be a disadvantage, but it also could not be. So just something to keep in mind. For anyone traveling to uh, Boston, or I guess Chestnut Hill, uh, any, anything we got to check out? This weekend? I, know, I, know, I believe it's Yankees-Red Sox this weekend, too, and just I know Boston's a huge city. But any, anything particular you recommend? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly a good place to start. If you haven't been to somebody that there's no better place to soak in authentic Boston than right there. Um, I would say Faneuil Hall. It's a, it's a tourist trap, but if you have a couple hours, that's not too far away. Um, always good to go by the water. There's nice beaches. Um, my dad grew up on Revere Beach, so I always like that. Uh, there are just a bunch of beaches nearby that are nice to check out and lots of great restaurants. So um, I would say if you're on campus, just walk around the campus. It's a beautiful campus. Just enjoy the day and 
see where you want to eat. I don't have a favorite restaurant myself, but lots of options, so enjoy. Very cool. Where can uh, people catch up with you and read the opponent's perspective this week? Uh, so my name is Trevor Hass. I write for The Globe and Boston.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Trevor Hass or uh, pick up a copy of The Globe. It's always nice to, you know, pick up a print copy, so I'd appreciate that. And whatever you get a chance to do is much appreciated, and thanks a lot. Of course. That was Trevor Hass from the Boston Globe. And, yeah, thank you so much, Trevor, for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban? Well, I don't think it'll be the guy that a lot of people think it will be, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee. Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 last year. He's got a national championship to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback. Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams. Let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant and I interviewed Nick Saban and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors. Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you once again to Trevor Hack for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Definitely great to catch with beat writers from all over the country. And you just heard the Dropkick Murphys shipping up to Boston. 
definitely get you in the mood for hockey, not necessarily college football, right? Well, Notre Dame plays it before game, and I'm talking about a lot of Notre Dame stuff. But to say, are you a fan of Notre Dame? I hadn't noticed. No, no, no. It's it's something that everyone's probably going to clown me for when they lose. So, yeah, and I, on purpose for our pick them this week, I put Notre Dame in there just to see if you're going to pick them against Wisconsin. I did not. I didn't either. Uh, but welcome back to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Anything else about the Boston College matchup you want to talk about before we get into actually a pretty busy non-football week or non direct football week from Mizzou. Yeah, I get the last thing I want to touch on is just how imperative that we're going to just to watch Mizzou stop the run or at least attempt to this bet this weekend because like I mentioned before the break is there Boston College is going to throw every running play possible. Drinkowitz mentioned that in his, his press conference on Tuesday and the defense is also expecting it too. I mean, quarterback runs, uh pitch plays option that kind of stuff Grossell kind of he, he's got the ability to run too so they're gonna they're gonna throw all of that and more at Mizzou but the one thing they're not gonna do in my opinion really is pass all that much in the I, I looked it up I mean when he came in against UMass in a uh, place to fill after after he got hurt he's throwing he's avoiding the last name I'm now. just gonna avoid the last name just calling him Phil <laughs> it's, it's not wrong though no you're not wrong but uh but he, he's thrown 29 passes in those two games and playing basically an entire game from the first quarter on when he came in, he's only thrown 29 passes. So, I mean, that it really tells you, look, it's stop the run or you're going to lose. Right, and, and I do think that that's one difference Missouri has kind of its favor is Missouri has played at least two opponents that are pretty adequate. Kentucky definitely is, and Central Michigan is not a slouch by any stretch of the imagination. Temple, excuse me, Temple is one of the three opponents Boston College has played and probably the best opponent. They're not very good. No. There's also Colgate and UMass. They've played nobody. And yet they have a lot of confidence at 3-0. and But that's kind of one thing Missouri's more prepared. They've been in this kind of road environment before. It's kind of the weird ACC scheduling matrix that has happened here. But Missouri, I don't think, will be intimidated by going. Like, there was a whole deal made last week of how ready Auburn is to play in the whiteout. And it's like, well, that's every Saturday for them. Congratulations. You went to the best environments not in the SEC. And, I mean, I've been to Penn State before, and it's like, I mean, it is very, very nice, but it's not like it's like anything, oh, my God, we can never see this anywhere else. Like, Michigan's pretty good in that way. Ohio State's good in that way. Notre Dame's good in that way. And then it's the SEC. Right. So, I mean, Texas is kind of that way, too, Oklahoma maybe. But anyway, uh, all the, the point I'm trying to make here is Missouri will go into this environment, and I, and I think that they have the bigger chip on their shoulder. They'll have more of the scrappy mentality to more and get the job done. I would not be surprised if Missouri found a way just to grit this one out on the, the ground game by themselves with Tyler Beatty taking it to their run defense. I think a lot is being made about Missouri's run defense, obviously so, but Missouri's run offense, I think, probably might win them this game. Yeah, especially with Tyler Beatty. We've seen it so many times the last couple games, even from SEMO to even Kentucky, even Central Michigan. When he has the ball in his hands, good things are going to happen. And uh, One thing I asked him after the SEMO games, you, you, know, you have a lot of success running screenplays why is that and he's like i just get the ability to make plays and i think one of the best uh reasonings for that is how he can use his his vision arguably his best attribute in my opinion as a running back and he can see that he can plan out his run he can attack it in the way that he wants to it, it but at the end of the day i think he's better than uh garwo on boston college and and i know he's garwo's been pretty good for sure. Now getting kind of onto the other football things of the week. Missouri's 2022 schedule was released on Wednesday or Tuesday. One of the, one of those. It must must might, were, you, were you there for the SEC schedule release on YouTube TV? No, you weren't there. So it was it was Tuesday at availability when it was coming out. And so 
it really wasn't expected at this time of the year because we were still thinking maybe Oklahoma and Texas make their way to the conference. But it looks like at the earliest that will now be in 2023. And if I was a betting man, that's what's actually going to end up happening. So this is the last rotation in the Missouri currently scheduled conference games where they have to get, I guess, reshuffled. Missouri starts with two non-conference road games, which we already knew, at Middle Tennessee State, at Kansas State. We already knew their home opener was against Abilene Christian. I'm probably the only person on the beat who's actually ever been to Abilene, Texas, much less been to their stadium. They're the, an FCS-level team in the Southland. Then it gets interesting. You want to take it from there, Chris? Yes, I'd love to, just because it goes straight from Abilene Christian to at Auburn. I mean, such a stark difference there. I mean, uh, and not only that, but it doesn't get any easier because you're at home against Georgia, and then you go back on the road to Florida before a bye week. So, I mean, you get arguably like two three maybe of the three hardest games on the schedule right up there right up front i don't say getting out of the way ripping the band-aid off but i mean uh then you get a bye week then you go right into vanderbilt which if i mean if you're a betting man i would assume they're probably going to struggle next year too yeah no it's an interesting schedule in the fact that missouri i mean missouri could be one in five Let's, let's be real about this going into the second half of 2022 and i know we're working way into the future here but i mean it's, it's hard to win on the road, and I'm sure Missouri will be much improved, and Kansas State's not that great. But you're looking at the start of SEC play, which is really what we should be focusing on. There are going to be so many storylines going on with this Auburn game that it's going to make it really interesting. Drinkwitz got his start at Auburn. There are three full-time assistant coaches, Curtis Looper, Eric Link, and Casey Woods, who all you know were on Auburn for that 2010, I believe, national championship. You know, Drinkwitz, and current Auburn head coach Brian Harson. You know, had Drinkwitz on staff in Arkansas State and Boise State. I mean, there are just so many connections here, and they're going to make that game really interesting. Missouri actually has not been to Auburn as members of the SEC. Now going on to the next two games, Georgia and Florida, who have won every SEC title since Missouri last won it in 2014. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to look at it, like it really is so front-loaded to the point where, you know, I do think that if, you, if you're expecting Connor Bazelak to be the guy, to be the quarterback, especially from next season and into being one of the best passers in the SEC, that you have to expect he's going to beat Middle Tennessee State, and I think he will. So, And when it comes to Kansas State, too, it's a wild card. You don't know what they're going to look like. But in being one in five, yeah, that's it, 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 it probably won't happen that way. But it, it, you know, you, you just have to realize that that's on the table. I yeah, mean, I guess technically. And, but the the best part about that is it doesn't get easier after that. You know, you can you can kind of regroup at that by week and then kind of realize, hey, it, it, on late October you're getting Vanderbilt at home. Yeah, a way to a way just to reset, and then you go to South Carolina before getting a revenge game with Kentucky coming at home in early November. So, I mean, it's it's a fun it's a fun schedule. I mean, it's a fun once you look past the, the three gauntlet, the gauntlet of the three SEC games to start the schedule. So, it's a very clear first half and then second half schedule. I mean, there, were, uh, there was a lot of talk, I guess, two years ago about how Missouri had a bye game after the fourth game and the eighth game. It's like, well, you can divide your season into thirds. And that was kind of there, but the scheduling kind of went against that. But you look at here, it's pretty clear back half, front half schedule. Missouri has two tough road games, the FCS Cupcake, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, who are is just going to be a heck of a test to start competition. Missouri comes out of that looking okay. Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, New Mexico State, and Las Cruces, and then Arkansas at home. I mean, that second half sets up beautifully for Missouri because if they can get on, some, on here at the end of that season, I mean— that really sets them up well. So it's just a matter of 
how many of the first half demons can they knock out of the way before really, hopefully, steamrolling from Missouri State through the second half of that schedule. Yeah, and you want to talk about Drinkwitz setting that goal of winning the SEC East? I mean, you want to really talk about, like, this is a season where he can do that next year. I mean, an experienced quarterback with an experienced offensive line with a decent recruiting class coming in to, to fill up those, to shore up the depth. And we talked about uh, some of the SEC, or not, excuse me, not the SEC, some of the FCS players that outplayed Mizzou's bench players in the second half of the SEMO game. You're getting Drinkwitz recruits in. You're, you're getting the opportunity to, to go one more year of experience. And it, this is it. You know, you, you can win the SEC East if you perform well here. Obviously, you, you don't have to beat Georgia. Or excuse me, you don't have to beat Auburn. If, but if you play well against Georgia and you can beat Florida at, at the Swamp, I mean, it's on the table. It really is. Because you never know what's going to happen in the second half of the season. That, that is true. And I agree with you there that there's some 2018 vibes from this schedule. But I, I think that this is still going to be a – you're going to have a Florida team who's going to be better in this year. Because this is supposed to be the down year for Florida. Right. And then you're going to have a Georgia team that's likely – I mean, not if not a defending national champion, they were in the playoff coming back. So there are huge hurdles to overcome. But, I mean, that is the path. I'm, I still don't think it's incredibly likely – because it's not I'm going to say it's unlikely until it actually happens so that probably doesn't have any validity to it but I mean a third year Drinkwitz a schedule that gives you the chance to compete a better definition of what can make you compete I mean that that road game against Middle Tennessee State is the odd one out but that's the first game of the year Missouri comes ready to play that and then things could set up pretty well for them I mean that Kansas State game is going to be really fun but let's put a lid on this for now because there's still like 12 months until these games take place. One other football thing that kind of happened off the field this week, or actually there's two more I, I kind of want to touch on. But first, and more quickly, you're more of a fan of The Bachelor than I am. Do you want to take take this one from here? Yeah, uh, I can remember exactly when this all started. It was uh, you know last week we're sitting at media availability. You look at me and say like, hey, is, is this something we should write about? And you know Clayton Eckerd being the next Bachelor, and I say absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the, and the a big reason why I'm into the Bachelor is being a Bradley University grad. Michelle Young is now the Bachelorette this year, uh, and I remember interviewing her when she was a Bradley basketball player. So I mean, like, at the wow. end, like yeah, it's, it, so you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, whatever you want to call it. But uh, the the fun part about this is. Uh, there's just drama surrounding Mizzou now. I mean, when it comes to just uh, reality TV, and it, it's something that I know a lot of people have commented on Facebook. Oh, who cares about this? Blah, blah blah. Who cares? Yeah, but a lot of people watch these shows, and, and if you can connect to it in any kind of way, speaking from personal experience, it's kind of fun. Especially saying like, "Hey, I talked to the Bachelorette. I was able to interview her after a basketball game, especially after a game where she actually upset Missouri back in December of 2014." So, uh, it's it's. It's just fun, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it too. Uh, you can you can take over as official bachelor beat if you want. Sure, but you know we'll we'll hash that out as, as we get there. But it's it's going to be fun. Yeah, to take a step back a little bit for those who don't know, Clayton Eckerd was a Missouri football player in 2014 and 15. Actually, 11 to 15, I believe he was at the school. He was announced as the next bachelor on the ABC reality television show. He's going to be a contestant on Michelle Young's season. I guess by default, we know he doesn't end up with her because he's going to be chasing a bunch of other girls and they're going to start filming. He's from Eureka, Missouri. Uh, didn't have the most prestigious Mizzou career, but he'll be claimed as a pro as a prize true son now that he's going to get all this limelight on ABC. So we'll be watching that just to see what a famous Mizzou football alum. It's no different to me, I guess, technically. A little different, but not too much different than watching a Drew Locke. You know, we want to keep up with him when he leaves the school and what they're doing. 
you know, it's my job to keep up with the alumni and what they're doing. So I've learned more in the past week about The Bachelor than I ever thought I would have. Like, I know the name Michelle Young now, and she never would have registered in my head about a week ago. So best of luck to Clayton and his journey to find love. And, you know, if, if you ever need any advice, we're probably not the people to come to. But I would like to tell you that we are here for you, you know, if need be with uh, any of your questions about Mizzou, not about love. That that was the, that was the joke. I was but, trying to make it. It completely fell on its face. No, it's it's fine. You, you could just put a cap off. Of, Will you accept this rose to be the next bachelor beat writer? But you know that's neither here nor there. Um, did, did, did men get the men get like full roses on the shoulder, or is it like the corsage? No, no, you get the full rose. Like that's how that's how they pick people. Men like, get, give the full rose, yeah, but they the, get the corsage. Yeah, to like like the like the first episode. There's the first impression rose. So the girl that makes the biggest first impression. This is a foreign uh, language. <laughs> what the heck is a first impression rose? It, it, yeah, it, I'm it's, it's a first impression. Rose, but what's what's wrong with just a first impression? Well, it's the one girl that stands out the most to the Bachelor in the in the first episode, saying like, "Hey, you." So she wins. No, it's like you stood you stood out to me on the first day. Like they all like it shows up the first day. They all show up, all the the ladies, men, and the Bachelor and the Bachelor. They all show up on one like the first day. Okay, they meet the and they meet the contestant one by one, and you get to see weird stuff. They all do weird things. And the it, one that impresses him the most gets the first impression. Right? Exactly. Okay. Now that ma- that that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Now. Okay. In, in in like shenanigans happen, stuff happens, and you laugh, and it's funny. I mean, but uh, th- that's just that's just how it goes. So, uh, and that's that's it for like whole you know, <laughs> okay. fifteen or so episodes. You're, okay. It's okay. You you don't have to do it. I'll. Here, here's the thing though. Like you know, when you go into watching a new television show, like 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 any of the. MCU shows or anything like that. You go in with with, with optimism. I'm going to do this here, and I'm going to give the yeoman's effort and try and do the work, and really go in with an open mind to watch this train wreck, because because I, I want to do right by our readers and our listeners, and really give the best information possible. I'm going to do my job and really deliver the best you know Clayton Eckert coverage I can. You know, like the, if I was an Auburn writer, I'd be watching Dancing with the Stars. If I was a USC rowing writer, I might not be watching Olivia Jade, but different different conversation for a different time. Anyway, going on to the final football item of kind of the last week, Luther Burden, who's a big-time commit uh, out of the St. Louis area. I think he's number six overall, according to 24-7 in the 2022 class, the number two wide receiver, announced his top three. Missouri's in it alongside Alabama and Georgia. How huge would this be if Missouri got him? It- uh, it's so hard to put it into words just because if you talk about Drinkwitz's status as a recruiter, this puts him into the top, like top half of the conference. The fact that he's pulling receivers, top receivers from, from nationwide to come to Mizzou, that's, it just cements them that, okay, like he's on the right track. He's he's doing it. And and once one starts to come, that, that gets the attention of others, you'd assume, right? I mean, I, I do think that's a fair assumption, but I think that's more so in terms of Drinkwitz's recruiting, that would be getting the attention of everyone else that Drinkwitz already doesn't have the attention of. I mean, Drinkwitz has the attention of the kids, I would believe, already. This would just give so much legitimacy to what he is doing from East St. Louis to get that East St. Louis wide receiver. Uh, Luther Burden committed actually the day before the LSU game last year to Oklahoma, dropped his commitment early this year. Now it's either Missouri, Georgia, or Alabama. And so... This is kind of a big deal because he'd be the second highest ever signed prospect behind Doriel Green Beckham. Correct. I was wondering if you were going to get that. So uh, I believe there's a couple others like a Blaine Gabbard, a Sheldon Richardson, um, who are very highly ranked. But just to show you the quality of prospect Luther Burden is, 
only one person Missouri has ever signed. Jay Macklin was not this high, highly rated. Chase Daniel was not this highly rated. I mean, Drew Locke was not this highly rated. And he was a top 50 kid. I mean, there are just not many kids like this in Missouri can pull. And I think that this brings legitimacy to Drinkwitz for a few reasons. But the, the way that he is able to get a if he is able to sway Luther Burden, he got it from Lincoln Riley, from Kirby Smart, and from Nick Saban. He's already got a guy from Nick Saban and, and Ennis Rakestraw. It was Texas, Alabama, and Missouri there. But to get it from that three with that caliber of prospect, it's not game changing for the program, but it's darn close. No, and it, it just sets the it really it just sets the the benchmark of like if if Drinkwitz wants to call himself an elite recruiter and he gets this, then he can say, I am one. And that's huge for the program. I, I agree. And we'll touch on some basketball. Uh, Conzo Martin did land Aiden Shaw uh, this week, who, I mean, a lot of has been made about Drinkwitz's ability as a recruiter. And he has the time, I mean, 6.5 more scholarship spots than, Con- than Conzo has. Conzo has 13. Eli Drinkwitz has 85. So for him to land an Aiden Shaw, who is the fourth highest rated prospect in his tenure, and the first one of that caliber he's landed since 2017, I mean, the three players ahead of him were Michael Porter Jr., John Tay, and Jeremiah Tillman. Then it's Aiden Shaw out of, out of uh, Overland Park, Kansas, for the 2022 class. A huge gap for Conzo Martin. He deserves the props Drinkwitz has been getting. And hopefully, I mean, for his program, you would think that's the start of something greater. Yeah, especially with basketball, too. I mean, with the the expectation that surrounds the Missouri basketball program, too. I mean, it, it's one of those things where you can start, start to say, like, okay, we're on to something and that gives you a little bit of not, not just hope but a, a little bit of breathing room saying like hey like we're gonna we might have multiple years of a player like this on our team for sure well this has been an interesting podcast recording episode we've had a tiny bit of audio issues this week we apologize if any of that has come through but for chris kwasinski i've been eric blum thank you for listening to this week's Missouri sports podcast and we'll see you next week Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.